as well for you afterwards. Great to have you as a part of church life. Um, And as we begin to journey into the year, here we go. For those of you who are uh, are regulars, you'll be aware of our fasting in, in February. For those of you who are visiting, we take fasting in our church very seriously. It's a significant and powerful tool, discipline, that Jesus um, does himself, that the apostles um, record for us, that's throughout the scriptures, and it moves mountains. It's not a leverage tool that we go, aha, God, you have to do what I want you to do because I'm fasting, but it's something much more powerful than than that. It's not a, a... a list of things that I want. It's about seeing his kingdom come. So we'll be moving into that beginning today. I know some of you have already begun fasting and we're going to be doing a little bit of teaching in relation to that. Today we're going to be praying with one another. Um, If you don't feel too comfortable with that, that's okay. Um, But we'll be just praying with the person beside us or whoever that you can find. If you if you're not sure about that, then that's okay. You don't, don't need to. But we want to pray into your life. We want to pray with you. We do life together, community. This is a part of that. A couple of little announcements that are going to come up on the slide projector, I think. Today we have something very, very special. Chloe Godding is in the house. <laughs> come on. That's better. Oh, you sound like Baptists that are about you too long. Woo. Um, actually, I'm one of those. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, so, Chloe's uh, about to come on up, and um, I've got a bunch of questions she doesn't know about, so she's in fear and trepidation about that, but that'll be all right. Um, uh, also, uh, next slide. Should be there. Right. February fast. If you are looking for a devotional just to help you to move through February, then on our website you can download this for free. It's not mine. It's um, Jensen's Franklin's about uh, just encouraging you in your daily and regular routine of fasting um, to be able to follow a devotional. So that's there on our website. You can find that there and just download it or you can probably even just find it online. It's just been borrowed from from him um, to be able to go, okay, here's something that I can use over the next uh, three weeks or so. I like to think uh, over the past few years have been encouraging us uh, to break up the three weeks into prayer for uh, your own personal breakthrough, prayer for our church and our community, uh, for one another. You can go through the church directory for that matter if, if, if you have one, and prayer for our community and breakthrough into our community. But more importantly than that, I'm, I'm shifting a little bit. While prayer is an important part to fasting, it's really about coming before God and saying, I'm desperate for you. Full stop. And I need to see, or I desire to see, breakthrough. Jesus takes himself off into the wilderness and does not eat food for 40 days. You have got to be kidding me. I've never done that before, and I know some people who have. 
Um, but it's huge. And he doesn't do that to weaken himself. He does it to strengthen himself. So that's really hard in us, in our minds, isn't it? Because we think, well, it will weaken, but it actually strengthens. And we're going to be looking at a little bit of that very, very shortly. And so that's enough about our introduction to fasting. We're going to be praying with one another if you feel comfortable doing that. If you don't, that's okay. Just pray with you and God. That's really important. Next one. In March, just letting you know what's coming up, where we're going to be launching into um, um, practicing some of the ways of Jesus and taking you into a deeper spiritual formation because you've chosen, you've chosen, I believe, today to follow Jesus. Teach me, Rabbi, your ways. Lead me in your path. May the dust of your sandals rest upon me. So uh, we want to really encourage you in that over this year. It's not going to be too heavy. It's going to be really encouraging and affirming for you. So that's what we're um, leading into. Why don't we give Chloe a round of applause as she comes on up. I'll grab my mobile phone. Keep clapping. She's still coming. <laughs> cool. Take a seat. So, Liz Godding, tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? I'm 15. No. Are you really? Yep. Do you feel old at 15? No. You know? Okay. All right. Cool. What about your family? You've got a tribe in your family. What are the ages of your brothers and sisters? Brothers and sisters. I have a little brother who is 10. He's darling, isn't he? He's just wonderful. You get on well with him? He's so sweet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Tick. Yep. Yeah. And then I have a little sister who's 13, but she acts much older. <laughs> she right. thinks she's 16. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, there you go. Sometimes we need to do that. Yep. Yeah. You get on well with her? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then I have an older brother who's 16, almost 17. Okay. Yeah. And what's it like living in... You've got a mum and a dad as well, have you? You've got, you've got a mum and a dad as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, what's it like living in the Godding family? It's pretty exciting. We eat a lot of meat. <laughs> um, you know, I love it because, like, I love growing up in a Christian home. Okay. It's just nice because I always have, like... Mom and Dad, if I can ask them any questions about God, I yeah. mean, they're always there. One of the things I've noticed in your home when I have been there, and I think it's still there, I'm assuming it is, on the, I think it's on the fridge, is God's got this. Mm-hmm. Is that still there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was just taken by that because it's such, for me, it was just powerful to go, yeah, Mom and Dad, and this is our family motto almost, God's got this. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you, you won't be prepared for this question, but, um, or I didn't tell you in advance, but I'm just interested for you what that's been like when you think God's got this. Has there been moments when you've gone, wow, look, God has this, God's got this, or a moment for you or in your family that you can share? Um, 
I guess sometimes if I ever like get really stressed or worried about a situation, I just like I realize I feel silly because it's like oh it's God's plan like everything will work out good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And at school, do you find that that unfolds at school as well? I mean, school's a stressful place, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you go to what's the name of the school you go to? Uh, Coolum Beach Christian College. Okay, and the head of secondary there is a really difficult person. So I'm just uh, <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, it must be very stressful. We must be thinking often. God's got this. God's got this each day. What's school, your school experience like? Um, well, no one at school really like. You don't really see much like Christianity in, within the class. Yeah. And it's kind of like. It was like tough for me to see that after coming back from teen missions. Um, but it's like God loves each and every one of those people. Um, mm. So it's like I need to love them. Even if it's hard, like I have to try my best to love them. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. It's yeah. not always going to be a bed of roses, is it? Oh, do you know what that means? Yeah. You know, a bed of roses means it's not going to just be all be wonderful and easy. Yeah. Has anybody ever slept on a bed, ever seen a bed of roses? Oh, I think so. Where do we get that from? Now, that's a side thing. Okay. So you went on teen missions. Yeah. Could I go on teen missions? Yeah, actually. Could I? Yeah. Oh, it's not just for teenagers? It's just... <laughs> no, because um, you could be a leader. Okay, of course mm -hmm. I could. About that. Tell us about how did you get onto teen missions? Um, when I was in grade six, um, I remember they came and they spoke at my brother's youth group, um, and Jack brought home the flyer, and I was like, "Oh, like this sounds really cool. I would love to do this someday." Uh, and then it kind of just like it didn't happen then, um, but then. I randomly was thinking about it one day, and then the next day they came to our school and spoke. And I was like, wow, that's God telling me it's time now. Wow. He provided the money, and I went. Wow. Yeah. Tell us a little about your experience. Where did you, what, what happens in teen missions? What's the process? So you go to boot camp for 10 days, which is pretty hectic. <laughs> you run an obstacle course every morning, have different classes like to like build stuff and then also um, theory classes like Bible stuff and things to prepare you for your mission field. And then you head out after the 10 days to go to your place. I went to Fiji uh, for four weeks and you do your mission, uh, ministry stuff there. We did um, like painting the doors and windows, building beds, weeding, and just renovating the campsite. And then we also got the opportunity to go to um, different churches in Fiji, which was really cool. Mm. And then after the four weeks, you head back to debrief, and it's kind of try to like ease you in to going back to your regular life and coming off that spiritual high. Mm. Yeah. And how did you go in Fiji? What did you see? What did you, how did you grow from your experience in Fiji? Um, it was kind of confronting to see how like, other people live in different countries, um, like the poor conditions. It was just like, wow, I'm really grateful for what I have and to like, see that that's not normal what we have here. Mm. 
can you do you have a particular memory of something that happened or something that you particularly saw that really sharpened that for you in your in your mind? Is there something in particular? Well, when we were driving home from the airport when we first landed and we we're driving to the campsite, we were just like we saw all these houses that were so handmade. There's just like just sheets of metal and like they all had smiles on their faces. Mm. And they're just like walking on the streets and they just didn't have anything that we had here, and they were all really happy. How has that impacted you since coming back? Well, I mean, it's been, how long has it been since you've been back? Is um, I've been back for two weeks. Two weeks, okay. Have you had a chance to process that? And I think you said that when you come back, you, you debrief. Mm -hmm. But has that had an impact upon you? your experience? Um, well, it's definitely like taught me to be more grateful for what I have and to realize that like, I am like so privileged and so blessed to be where I am. Mm. So yeah. Mm. I'm interested to know, and you might not have had a chance to think about this, and oh, yeah, it does impact you, doesn't it, when you could do some cross-cultural stuff and see, mm -hmm. whoa, okay, I'm so fortunate, Lord, I'm so grateful for what I do have. Um, in moving forward for you, how might that knowledge that you've experienced, not just in your head but in your heart now, what might it impact in your life for you moving forward? That's a tough question. Can mm. um, you give up your bed for your brother, or you got a better? Has he got a better room than you, or something? Or you know, you'll go last at serving at dinner, or sorry, I'm mucking around um, there. Tell us yeah, how it might impact. Probably just like being less materialistic and like, okay, I actually, I don't need that, or like, I don't need to spend my money on that, like that's fine. Like I can use my money for something else or I can give this money to someone mm. or use it to get something for someone and not like getting all this stuff for myself, I guess. Yeah. So rather than living and just adopting the world around you and its culture of what's next to get, what makes, is going to make me feel good. It's more about what can I contribute to the, perhaps the lives of others or I don't really need this. That can also internally make you feel, hey, this is what Jesus did. He didn't chase after his own need but gave. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, that's cool. Would you recommend Teen Missions? Definitely, yes, okay. it's life-changing. Okay, yeah. um, and who can normally attend? I mean, I know you said that I could go, but you know, it's a layer, but what's the, what's the age group that they invite young people along to go along with them? Um, so you have to be 13 to join a team to be okay. a member. Uh, but if you have already done a team before, you can be a leader at 18. Okay. Otherwise, if you want to be a leader, you have to be 21. Yeah. Okay. So. Cool. Yeah. Maybe a leader someday? Maybe. Maybe? Yeah, that'd be cool. And there's no friction at home between you and dad and YWAM and teen missions and no. stuff? No. <laughs> it's okay? It's, yeah. yeah. It's good? 
All right, cool. Let's pray, hey? Isn't that awesome that Chloe's chosen to do that and the impact that's, uh, that she's having upon her now? Lord, um, thank you for uh, the opportunities that we really are fortunate to be able to be a part of, such as Teen Missions. Thank you for Chloe and what has taken place in her heart. And I did have other questions as well about your faith, but that's okay. Um, thank you for what's taken place within her heart, but how you've spoken to her. And for this experience in teen missions and the team that is behind all of that, making that happen, wanting to see young people being impacted by the power of God at work in, the, in their lives. Um, thank you for the opportunity that she has had and for what and how you are going to mould that more and more into her life. Already for how she can see, hey, there's something a little bit different in the way that I want to live freedom in Christ that you bring to choose and uh, we thank you in advance for just the unfolding of that within her, her life in the world that she currently lives in at school, at home and elsewhere and the impact that you will make through her into, in this world in Jesus name we pray Amen Is that easy? It's pretty easy, wasn't it? Let's give her a round of applause as she hops on back. Thank you. That's great. It's powerful. Hey, there's a few people here, I think, still. I know Arthur's one of those who've been on our um, Philippines trip with Compassion. Hey, and uh, you know, the impact that those moments make in your lives. We were actually, I was actually in touch with a couple of the Filipino crew just this past week just to say, hey, we haven't forgotten you. So uh, if you, gee, it's been a while, hasn't it, since we've done that compassion trip, but part of it was all about looking to join in mission, an overseas mission elsewhere in the world and Compassion had a good setup and we went over to the Philippines, we were trained, went to Mindoro and we really sewed into that community in the way of um, uh, sponsoring families, goes much further than just sponsoring kids and uh, they are just so excited to see that people who are wealthier than them, are willing to come, spend their money and visit them. That's a huge thing. We don't get that when we travel some to some places and they say, we are so grateful for you to come because we don't have the ability, the finances, the funding to be able to do that. But you chose to use yours to come and visit us. And that's so encouraging for them, for the church there, for, for Christians. So we want to get back there. But the... The borders just aren't open just yet, so it's a bit of a, of a struggle. Let's just encourage you just to have a moment of prayer as we just come to the Word. We won't be long in it this morning, but just want you, it's really important, hey, for us just to come before the Lord in His Word as well. And so, Lord, we pause for a moment. We are believers and followers of the way of Jesus. Sometimes, Lord, that looks like two steps forward, one step back. 
then there are moments in our lives where you just rock on up and say, hey, today I'm going to use you in this way, in that way. As we seek to be followers of Christ, who never ever in the scriptures got it perfectly right as they followed Jesus, but as they continued to practice, you went about your work mightily in their lives and through their lives. And so we walk in that same confidence and faith each day that you grant to us. So come and speak, mould, shape, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the amazing things I think of is how the disciples get on up to heaven eventually after tough lives and saying, well, we reached a few thousand, we saw the Holy Spirit show up and we did a bit of this and we did a that and we travelled here and we got imprisoned there and we got shipwrecked there and then um, Paul and Peter, well, us guys, well, we, we clashed a little bit and we did that and there was a, bit, a lot of turmoil but hopefully, Lord, we've done enough, you know. And he says, turns to them and says, yeah, that was all good and planned and great but it's the letters that you wrote that are the most powerful. They're going to go, what? Probably not like that. Um, but, what? And they're going to go, yeah. Remember, Paul, the, the letters you wrote to the church in Corinth. Those mongrels? You've got to be kidding me. They screwed it up all the time. Oh, hey, them, you've got to be kidding. And it goes, well, actually, it's powerful now and it's reached generation. And they go, well, what are you talking about? And James, when you're in prison or you know, um, John, when you're in, 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 in prison, you wrote this book and da 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 And I go, well, that, that, when I wrote, yeah, well, it's reached billions of people. And perhaps they were focused, and I don't know, on the ministry in front of them and not what was happening as well with the power of God through perhaps the unseen. And let me encourage you right now, the power of God is at work in you in what is unseen. Perhaps even more so than through what is seen. That's what we call people of faith who walk in faith and confidence that life matters. Fasting. When I was growing up, we didn't have too much takeaway. A little bit tough, but I can remember every now and then we'd have Chinese food at the local Chinese restaurant. You know, when they were dotted around everywhere, if you're as old as me, you know, it was the Chinese restaurant was the place that you would go to. It was great. Now it's Thai food and... All sorts of stuff, but it was a Chinese restaurant. I can still remember it. I still pass it down and ask me there sometime, the Chung Shan. I'll never forget it. It's great, great food. And then I can remember occasionally, every now and then, when we lived in Adelaide, it sort of shifted a, a little bit. We were living in a, in a caravan then, but it was the fish and chip shop. And I don't know, maybe every month or so of a Friday afternoon, I can remember going to the fish and chip shop and ordering a Chico roll. 
Those things were the best. I used to love it. I don't know what's in those things now, but, you know, back then, Chico Roll was fantastic. So good that even today, we have our favourite restaurants, our favourite takeout places, and it almost seems that it's a little bit different now. Rather than just the local Chinese restaurant or a local fish and chip shop, we're a lot more culinary particular. Hmm, where do we go to eat out next? Let's look at some reviews. Hmm, who said that they've had good food at Rice Boy? Or who said that they've had good food? Where's the best Thai shop to go to? Where's the best fish and chip shop? And we, we critique our takeout a little bit more now, don't we? We sort of go, oh, I don't know whether we go, oh, I don't know. It's, it's shifted, but it's now become a culture. Food is very much part of, uh, dare I say, a Western culture, certainly an Australian culture. We're quite particular about it. A little bit more fussier. Have you noticed that in your own life when you think about it and you think about takeout? Alongside of this food culture that's very much a part of our world, is an exercise culture, and I find it quite interesting. On one hand, we love to eat. And on the other hand, certainly on the sunny coast, exercise is a big thing. And the gyms have got plenty of people in them. They're running around everywhere. It's a big thing and it's very competitive. And yet at the same time, there seems to be an a huge increase in eating disorders. I want to eat and enjoy, and but yet I want to starve myself and look like Barbie or Ken. Hmm? Uh, this is uh, friction that goes on, and without us even realising at times, we're adopting some of that culture. When you think about it. The body has become, in many ways, your master. It has a power and authority over your emotional levels and your spiritual status. How do I feel? What's my body saying to me? I struggle with this. As much as I like to exercise and play sport, the worst time of the night, I'm going to try and work on this more, is between 9 and midnight. Because Danielle's done the shopping on Friday and I now know where the ice creams are. Nobody's around. Hey, I worked hard this way, I worked out, oh, great. Oh, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have two ice creams, because I can, and I deserve it. Do you know these games we're playing? You're, some of you are laughing and giggling, but that's because you know what I'm talking about here. We play these games in our heads, I feel like I deserve that. But it does, our body speaks to us in many ways that it seeks to master 
our choices to hold us back or to say, you should do this, you should do that. How do you feel? And it's very much the culture of the Western world that we live in. We've seemed to have moved from an age of not having much to certainly having more, an age of the pleasure principle. What's the Christian response? What's the way of Jesus and his response to the pleasure principle in life? It seems that much of the Western society is set up to feed our flesh desires of what Paul talks about. And in Genesis chapter 3, Sorry, in Genesis 2, we'll get to to 3. I want to read to you, first of all, the introduction of humanity into the world and exactly what I've been speaking about, but from a biblical perspective, of how this pleasure principle has come into play. And you'll see the flesh at work, the spiritual at work in in your life. And so in Genesis 2, 4 and following, it says this, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Hebrew for earth or dust, is Adame. It's where we get the name Adam from. And here we find God breathing life into the body, into Adam, into this flesh. And the man, Adame, became a living being. And now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed from the earth, from the dust. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so even from Genesis 2 we can see that the body was the is a key part to God breathing his life into it. It's not just simply a shell. Your body is it's an important part of what God has created. In the early church, there was a group, generally speaking, called the Gnostics, and they had come to a point where they realized, well, it's just the the soul and the spirit of humanity that matters. It doesn't matter what I do to my body, so I can just do whatever I want. Almost seems like we're there to, again today in some, some ways. Verse three, uh, verse three, chapter three. We, it's even been picked up in that passage there in Genesis two. But in chapter three, it says this: Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God really say you must not eat 
from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, said the serpent, said The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and again there's that word, pleasing to the eye. It's that pleasure principle again, right there was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together. I don't know how you really do that, but yeah, they did it. They had this special cotton to do it with. And they sewed the fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves and I think we are still doing it today hiding behind our fig leaves of various forms because we are all broken people who need the life of Jesus. But here again we find the word pleasing to the eye. This is the flesh-like nature that Paul speaks about, that Jesus speaks to, and it's saying, is at work in you. Do you feel it? We feel it every day, don't we, in one way or another. What is pleasing to the eye. And it is at lockerheads with the Spirit. It's not to say that um, it's great to have an ice cream. It's not bad. It's, it's not to say that going on holiday is wrong, but it's about keeping in check that it doesn't become your overriding culture that you choose to live. But you walk the way of Jesus. And he speaks about spirit and truth. Mark 4, I'll see if I can finish here. In Mark 4, and I mentioned it before, so it might be a, a good place to finish, and we'll pick up on this next week, because I just want us to spend a moment in prayer as well. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he fasts. We know he practices three spiritual disciplines right here. If you want to know, well, what do I do to follow Jesus? His three spiritual disciplines right here in this passage. Silence and solitude. Prayer. We're assuming that as he's in the wilderness in Matthew 4, that he's speaking to the Father. And fasting. Straight up. Three of them right there. Follow Jesus. Come follow me. Three examples. 
And he's right there, and it says, And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And let me just highlight very, very briefly that I have been wrong in the past. I've been encouraged by other writers and authors and, and speakers that, it, that fasting is about abstinence. It's not. Fasting is about giving up food in its purest form. Abstinence is a powerful thing as well. We see that. The Daniel fast, the word fast isn't mentioned in Daniel, it's about abstaining from. And so if, I want to encourage you in the principle of fasting, if you're going to give something, if you're going to abstain from something to encounter God more in those moments and cry out to God as your body says to you, I don't like what you're doing to me, I want to watch Netflix tonight, and you're not letting me do that, it is still a good principle because your heart is saying something to God. Fasting, and we'll pick up on this next week, is about going, or we'll pick up on it next week more, is about going without food in particular. Whatever you do over this month in February, may I encourage you in it because I know that deep down you have a heart's desire to see breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough in your life, in your church family's life, in other people's life, and in your community's life. So let me encourage you in that. But here we, we see, after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. Duh. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become what? Bread. Food. Now, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here is the contrast of the second Adam not falling to the temptation of what happened in the first Adam. Who saw that it was pleasing to the eye and said, Yep, I'm going to go for it. The pleasure principle. And here is Jesus who says, I know what's coming. I'm going to go and practice spiritual disciplines, silence and solitude, prayer and fasting. And when the devil comes, I won't be weaker. I'll be hungry. He says, and he was hungry. I'll be stronger spiritually. This is what fasting brings into your life. It's not a, oh, well, maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. Well, that's just religion and maybe we just need to do it because, well, what else are we going to do? This is the spiritual power that you so desperately desire to see happening within your life, but you doubt it will. Come before the Lord in prayer shortly. Let him know how you feel about it. And see, as you genuinely open up your heart to him, what he will do through this. 
And here is the second Adam, Jesus that Paul speaks about, who refuses to turn stones into bread, to be the pleasure principle, to just go, well, actually, there's nothing wrong with that. Let me just go for it. Allowing my body to control my emotion and my spirituality. Falling to that moment of temptation. And he doesn't. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he doesn't. Praise God. And so I'm going to finish here. We're going to pick up on it next week a little bit more and look at how the Jews fasted and the early church fasted. And just to give you some teaching about fasting, um, going to be powerful. But what I'd like us to do right now is rather than just head for the coffee or the tea um, or head out and go home and whatever else, is to spend a moment in prayer. Just praying for one another in this moment that God would be real to them over this month that the church looks at fasting. Whether you're planning to fast or not, but that God would be very real to you over this month. Are you happy to do that? Can you find somebody to do that with? Is that all right? Or even if you, you, don't, you can have threes if need be. I, you know, work in a school sometimes, and I know that if we don't have pairs up, they go, oh, I'm, I'm the odd, odd one out. No, if you have threes, that's important too. That's fine. Or to pray by yourself if you prefer to. You don't know the person beside you and you're happy to move and pray with them. Just introduce yourself and say, hi, I'm this. Great. Let's pray together for what God will do in your life over this month of February as we look at fasting. Let's do that now. Let's grab somebody. Just for a minute or two and then I'll close in prayer and we'll finish our service.
And so, Lord, it has been spoken. It has been said, has been prayed for. Your kingdom come. For that is the deepest desire of our heart. In our own lives, in our brothers' and sisters' lives, in our church family's life, and those who are here this morning, and in our community, as we seek to be your ambassadors. In the mighty name of Jesus, we commit ourselves and pray. Amen. We're not going to sing a final song this morning, guys. That's just going to be the conclusion of our service because the kids are keen for morning tea. No, <laughs> you can hear me. I just love hearing them. We're just going to put on some background music. Um, but uh, enjoy a bit of morning tea this morning. God bless you as you begin to just journey into this moment.